All right, Mark chapter 10. So the gospel of Mark, the big number 10 and the small number 17. Mark chapter 10. So this is a pretty famous um, story. All of the synoptic gospels, which if you want to know what that means, it just means Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this conversation that Jesus had with this man. Every gospel writer adds their own little thing. Um, if you look... At Mark, he kind of uh, says the rich young man, and I think Luke adds ruler, and Matthew adds something else. But we kind of collect the three stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, not John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we come up with this story about the young, rich ruler. And he asks some good questions, but ultimately goes away sad. So we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see what it means. And what the Lord would have us learn about discipleship. So, let me read the passage, I'll pray, and we'll jump in. All right, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And as he was setting on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Interesting note. We'll come back to that in a second. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions and jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come to eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this would be a labor of love, that um, as we examine your word and we confront the sin in our own lives, pray, Lord, that we would, one, listen in love, that we would desire to be more and more like Christ. And Father, I pray for my words that it would not be done out of hostility or out of arrogance but out of a genuine concern so lord give us uh your favor in this time we pray this in jesus name 
Amen. The youngest ruler. Um, hypothetical. If I gave you a magic wand right now, and I said, with this magic wand, you can fulfill your greatest dreams or goals, what would you ask for? What would you use your magic wand to fix, to achieve, to get? It's not hard for me to think about that question. Um, Maybe I've thought about my life's greatest fantasies. Of, 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 if I had a magic wand and right now, with the snap of a finger, I could have what I truly want in my heart. You can come ask me later. I'll tell you what it is. But just think for a second. What would that answer be for you? To have a very successful job one day where you just have tons of passive income and you don't really have to work. Maybe it is for that special someone to fall in love with you and you have the everlasting bliss and a lot of really cute babies together. Maybe, maybe your greatest goal in, in life is, is just to be well-known and liked and people want to be around you. But, but if you had a wand right now and someone's... Imagine Jesus saying, here you go, you can have whatever you want... What would it be? Now, I encourage you to, to not think too hard about that question because here's why. I think there's a danger in that being a very tempting and alluring thing just to think about, right? So do you guys know um, the story of, of how we get the term narcissist? Uh, there's this like mythology character named, named what? Narcissist. What's his name? And, uh, the, and the reason why we get that word is because he was so in love with himself and the image of himself that he went to the water, um, a, a creek, to get some, something to drink. But he's so in love with his own uh, reflection that he's afraid if he grabs water, he, he can't see himself anymore. And so he literally uh, goes thirsty to death because he's so afraid of, of walking away from his image. He's so about himself. He is so about whatever he can get. The reason why I ask this question, what would you get? Because I think, in a way, I want you to flush it out and to think, if I actually get this, would it really make life what I want it to be? Would I really actually finally feel like I've arrived? And I think that this, the story of this little young rich ruler, call him little because you'll see in a second, um, he is someone who got everything that you could want in life. He got it at a young age. Um, most people think that he probably inherited a lot of wealth because back then there wasn't such thing as a lottery and he's young. So he probably somehow got this big inheritance and he had a lot of money. Like, if we're talking about kids we want to attract to our youth group, he is the prime example, right? He is rich. He also is young. And what's good about youthfulness? There's a lot of 
time, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of, of angst, and, and, and there's someone who, when you look at a young person and you see that they have money and they have influence, it's an attractive person. So he's young, he's rich, he's a ruler. He kind of leads people. He has, like I said, some relational equity wherever he is and whatever he's ruling. And so he kind of makes this prime example of someone who's achieved everything we would hope to achieve. He has people inviting him to the best dinner parties. He has enough money to where he doesn't ever have to lift a finger. He has enough people wanting to be his friends. He, he can do whatever he wants. But you want to know what's funny about this guy who has everything that he wants? Most people consider Mark 10, verse 22, to be the saddest verse in the Bible. Isn't that something? I was reading that this week. Uh, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The person who in Scripture, who is known for getting everything that they wanted, is actually synonymous with having the saddest verse in the Bible. So what is this passage trying to teach us? Well, one, first thing, I want us to try to frame it this way. Jesus here is continually leading his disciples down in understanding of what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? To call yourself a disciple of Christ, does that come with a cost? Does does that mean something more than just ritual obedience? Does being a follower of Jesus mean more than just coming to Sunday night? Youth group, singing a few songs, going to a foreign land and doing a lot of good stuff there, going to a winter retreat. Is following Jesus more than that? And so what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to establish to his disciples of what does it really look like to have faith in Jesus? What does it look like to, have a, to be a disciple of Jesus? And so I would like to frame it by looking at two enemies of faith. All right? So that's, that's kind of what we're going for. Two enemies of faith. But really quick, do me a favor. Look back down at Mark chapter 10, starting in actually in verse 13. This, this passage actually is a foil to the passage that we are reading. So uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So can you imagine this? Jesus is sitting there. People are bringing, it's like, like you bring your baby to the president. Like, hold my baby. Right? People are bringing their children to Jesus, hoping that uh, if Jesus touching them would, would bless them, heal them, whatever it is. And, and what do the disciples seem fit to do? They rebuke these people. Hey, Jesus ain't got time for your kids. Kids ain't, kids ain't that important right now. We're, we're talking about the real adult stuff. We're at the grown-up table at Thanksgiving, right? Ain't no time for those little brats as the disciples. But what happens here? Look down. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of God is for the children. And, and, and as a matter of fact, if you don't enter like the way a child does, you can't enter yourself. How, how do children enter things? You know, it's funny. I remember our first trip going. We lived in Chicago, and my wife and I were flying our three, four-month-old babies to California for Christmas. Um, so we had two kids, okay? But it, is, it was astonishing to me how much stuff you need to take with you when you travel with a baby. Like hundreds, I would say like, yeah, a hundred pounds of, of stuff, right? Like car seats, portable cribs, clothes, diapers, food, you know, little toys and little blankets. Like so much stuff is required to come with children. And more than that, you think of, I think of my kids now, like they're a little bit more independent. You know, they can go to the bathroom on their own and um, they aren't as needy every single minute. But, but you want to know something? This weekend I was alone with my kids. My wife was gone. I had four children. Every meal, every snack, every movie, every article of clothing, they needed me to help them. Let me tell you something about children. They are needy, dependent creatures. That's what children are. And Jesus says, that's how you must enter the kingdom of God. Needy, dependent creatures. So this brings us to our, to our, our little boy, the rich young ruler. He has an inherited wealth, and so the natural, logical conclusion for him is like, hey, I've inherited all this wealth. Good teacher. How do I inherit eternal life? Right? He's actually, he comes to Jesus in in the right posture, right? What does it say? Look down. He says, uh, verse 17, as he was sitting on his journey, a man ran up to Jesus. He knelt before him. So far, so good, right? He's not just kind of passively. He runs up to Jesus, kneels down, and he asks the good question. And you see Jesus' tone with him? It's kind of interesting, right? He says, why do you call me good? Now, some people kind of struggle with that a little bit. They're like, you know, what is Jesus saying here? He says, no one is good except God alone. Is he not referring to himself as good? In a way, what Jesus is doing here is what he's been doing the whole gospel. And he's trying to veil his messiahship a little bit so that people don't just come to him for bread and for miracles. And so he's kind of being a little facetious here. And he's like, so why do you think I'm so good? And he responds to this question. He's saying, hey, you know, young rich ruler, what the Bible says, what the Ten Commandments. And Jesus actually here, what does he do? He gives the second table of the Ten Commandments. He gives the five commandments um, the, the commandments 6 through 10. But if you look down in the middle of verse 19, he says, uh, do not bear false witness. And then he says, do not defraud. But you know what's interesting is that the actual commandment, the Ten Commandments, does anyone know what that is? Do not covet your neighbor. But Jesus actually switches it around a little bit. I mean, he says, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And so this guy's thinking, oh, bingo, I got it. 
right? I, I gave the question. I, I'm settled in this life. I want to know if I'm settled in the next life. What do I have to do, Jesus? And he's like, well, hey, man, like, you know what's good. You, you, know, what, you know what the answer is. Like, here, like, do not do this. Don't do that. And immediately, do you know what he felt? He felt justified. He said, oh, I'm good. I'm in the clear. Why? Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Now, from youth, probably not thinking from the time he was five, but probably, you know, in Jewish culture, it, no, I don't think anyone here is Jewish. None of you had a, a bat mitzvah. But probably from the time he was 13, he has been someone who has known the law, and he has, on the outward appearance, done all these things. He honored his parents. He did not commit adultery. He didn't murder anyone. He, he knew what the law was. He didn't steal. So boom, I'm good. I'm good, right? I, I'm going to go in. And this is where Jesus pushes us forward. Because let, let me tell you something. I think every single person in this room is tempted to be just like the young rich ruler. How so? Because we are tempted to think that our faith results on our performance, on our obedience, on our good deeds. Let me tell you the first point. Self-assurance is an enemy to faith. Being sure of yourself, being confident that you on your own right, you on your piousness, you on your religious and church attendance, you think that you are good. And, and Jesus says, oh, let's hold on a second here. Actually, young rich ruler, one last thing you lack. What does he say? Verse 21, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Just say, you know, it's good that you follow the laws. I'm proud of you for that. But let me just let me throw in one last thing. You know, all that riches, all, all those homes you have, all those vineyards, all those camels, all those servants. I, I want you to just go ahead and liquidate all of those. Right? Just go sell it all. Get the money from that. And go give it to all the poor. Just, just get rid of it all and come follow me. Like, look at Mark Zuckerberg. Young guy, youngest billionaire in the world. Sell all your stock, give all your company, do it all, and, and, and then come follow me. What a tall order. Do you think Jesus is asking us to do that? Is Jesus asking you right now to go home, to find everything in your room, all the clothes you have, to sell it, and to go give it to the people in Haiti or Mexico? Some people have tried to take that, but, but here's the thing. I, I, I've been reading a lot of Narnia recently, right? So last week I read The Boy and His Horse, and uh, the, the little boy Shasta was asking me about his friend. He's like, Aslan, what about my friend? And Aslan says, I'm telling you your story and not their story. So Jesus here, he's actually, I'm not worried about everyone, I'm worried about you right now. So, so imagine Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm looking right at you, because what does it actually say? I, I love um, verse 20. Um, no, excuse me. Um, man, where are you? 
Yes, thank you. I was looking right above it. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I, I, guys, I cannot tell you how much I love that verse. Do you know why? Because Jesus is he's looking into the heart of this guy. And he knows this guy means well. He, he knows this guy's tried. And, and, he, and he loves them. But he really wants to get at the heart of what it is. So let me, let me, let me come out with it. What is this young ritualer lacking? He is lacking true devotion for God. He felt that if he just did the right thing, checked off the boxes, that everything would be okay. But Jesus says, listen, your love for me will be evident by what? How you love others. So although you can, on the outward side, kind of go through all the motions and check off the boxes and, and you look really good, here's what you really need to do. If you want to show your devotion to me, do it by loving the least of these. Sell everything you have and give it away. Then, for that man, it, it'll show that in his heart, he had true devotion for God. Consider the passage above with these children. They have absolutely nothing to give Jesus. And this man has everything, and yet he can't get in. Consider the kingdom of God and, and the backward, upside-down nature of it, that those who have a lot are actually the worst off, and those who have the least are the best off. What Jesus is trying to tell us here is that we need to be people who learn to be dependent like a child, who don't live and breathe in our own achievements and, and look to our dependence on stuff. You know, like I, I think sometimes um, I, I've been through a lot of trials and as I even thought this week of like the last four years of my life. I think of all of like the annoyances. I think of all of the, the insecurities that I've been aware of in my own life. I think of all of like the scary things in my life. And then I came to this conclusion. What if, what if nothing ever bad happened in your life? What if you never had anyone you knew got sick? What, what if you never had a crisis of identity? What if you never had a crisis with friends? What if you never had um, deep, deep conflict with those you love and live with? What if you've never had a personal just hardship that, that it's hard to even talk about, and if you did talk about it, you'd cry? What if you never had any of those? Would we still go to the Lord in prayer? If your life was just smooth sailing, would you be confident in your heart to say that God in all things and in all ways, I'm dependent on you? You see, the thing about this young rich ruler is he thought that he was good on his own. He was assured that if I just do the right things, if I, if I just have enough of this, if I, I'll be good. But deep down in his heart, he had no devotion. He had no true devotion for God. And then this is the point, guys, listen. At some point in your following of Jesus, it will cost you something. There is something that you have to give up. There, there's, there's a reason why one of my favorite books in the world it's a book on marriage, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. And you want to know why it's one of the best books? Because it's actually sneakily just a book about self-denial. He just kind of frames it in the conversation of marriage. But, but here's the thing, guys. Jesus, he, he doesn't have room for people who just want to go through the outward exterior. I'm kind of just going to obey. 
Jesus is saying, no. Everything and anything that causes you to be dependent on yourself, give it up. So what's the first point? Self-assurance is an enemy to faith. Self-assurance is an enemy to faith. As long as this young man stands on his own merits, I've kept the law, I've obeyed my parents, I haven't murdered anyone, that's a pretty easy one, I hope. I hope. But as long as he stands on his own merits, he is self-assured. But this is why I love Jesus. Because he calls him beyond the safe haven. Second point is this. Wealth and success are enemies to faith. So go ahead and look down. So Jesus, verse 23, he's aware of like, his disciples are probably looking at the Shemrish ruler like, man, Jesus, this would be a great guy to get in our team. Like, you know, those times we're hungry for bread, this guy could solve that problem. You know, think of all the times we're like, we're doing stuff. He's, this guy's got influence. Like, he's going to make our youth group boom. Let's bring him in, Jesus. So I think Jesus realizes this is an awkward little thing. So he kind of looks, he looked around and he said to his disciples, verse 23, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier actually for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Just a little side note here. Um, I don't know what your perception of Jesus is. Maybe Jesus is this macho dude, carpenter with a big beard, and, you know, he's a free spirit walking around, sleeping under the stars, and talking with, you know, a bunch of teenagers about the kingdom of God. But um, you might have a perception that he's just like, super stern and always serious, but a lot of people actually think that, that Jesus is saying a joke right here. That, that this phrase would have caused his readers to kind of laugh. And, and, and regardless of whether or not he's giving a, a joke or not, I, I do think it's interesting at times the perceptions we get of Jesus. Um, there's this book I read in college called like The Jesus Made in America, and it traced like every 50 years of the type of perception that the, the culture had of Jesus, like during the pioneer and Western like um, civilization or Western expansion, they had this like picture of Jesus that he was like this very muscular, macho pioneer Jesus, right? And then, you know, now a feminist Jesus. All, it's interesting just to see how culture's perception of Jesus comes from. Um, side note there. But Jesus kind of, he, he, he uses this really interesting um, illustration to make a point. And what's his point? His point, one, is not that having money and wealth are bad. I, I think a lot of people try to deduce this from this passage, that, that to be a good Christian, you know, being rich is wrong. Absolutely not. Like, I think the Bible is clear that having wealth is not a bad thing. And, and money is an inanimate object. There's nothing inherently wrong or good with money. It's the desire and the heart and the, the kind of seeds of what we do with money that, that cause sin, right? So but what, what is Jesus' point here? One, that those who think that by their own success and wealth that they can actually please God, it's going to be like them are, are, are trying, they're just like getting a camel and trying to pierce it through a needle. And the reason why he uses both a camel is because, one, that was the largest Palestinian animal, animal 
that they would have been aware of, right? So these are all Jews living in ancient Palestine. So the largest animal they would ever see is a camel. And the smallest hole they'd ever see is the eye of a needle. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, if you think that you can please God or kind of make it in life based on your wealth, it is literally like you are trying to get this huge animal and stick it through this small hole. What's he saying? He's saying it's impossible. He's saying it is impossible. Um, his disciples, it's interesting, are, are, are kind of astounded by this. They're like, dude, if it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom, like, who the heck can be saved? Right? And then, so again, like, my tone is, is understanding that the disciples understood that phrase by Jesus as a serious thing. They could have been like, Jesus, man, you're crazy, man. That, that was a funny joke. I mean, who can be saved then? Now, you know, they could have said it like that. You're fine. <clears throat> so, um, wrapping up here, wrapping up, I promise. So, what, what is the point here? So, let's read on a little bit more. Um, Jesus looked at them and said, with, verse 27, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is what Jesus is communicating. On your own, salvation is impossible. Ready for this? On your own, if you try to please God, it is literally like you're trying to get a huge animal and stick him through the eye of a needle. Faith on your own accord is impossible. But it's not impossible for God. See, I think Jesus does a, a miraculous job here, again, of, of kind of communicating the point he just gave to the young rich ruler. On your own, you cannot please God. It is impossible. You need God. And here's the warning. You ready for this? Being wealthy, being successful, having everything you ever wanted, having the magic wand give you everything that you hoped and dreamed for. Do you know what it, do you know what it allows you? It allows you to become more and more confident on your own. I mean, if you are rich, you literally, at some point, money can take care of any problem. You can throw money at whatever, and so that's the thing. People who are really wealthy, they don't feel this need. They don't feel this, this call out for God because they're just so comfortable. And so Jesus is saying, like, listen, guys, wealth, it's fine, it's, it's okay, but it comes with challenges. It makes it harder for you to see your childlikeness. So here's my point. I'll move to the conclusion. Anything that makes you forget your poverty in spirit or your childlikeness before God is a threat. Anything that can make you bolster up your confidence in yourself, anything that would make your life easier or anything that would make you forget that you are nothing but a needy, dependent child before God, Jesus says this, beware of it. Beware of it. You know, I... This is in my notes, I'm going to say anyways. I venture to say that... If any Christian is living under grace, I don't want them to feel guilty or shameful because of their sin. But let me tell you something. I think having the guilt of sin 
and being ashamed of the wrong things we do are sometimes God's greatest grace to us. Do you want to know why? Because it reminds us again and again and again that we are dependent on God for his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. And here's a great thing about being a Christian. And when we do feel that, that shame, that guilt, or we, we looked at something we shouldn't have, when we said those words, when we blew up, when we're apathetic in our soul, and when whenever sin that kind of besets us over and over again, that guilt and that shame, do you know what you remind us of? That on my own, I cannot please God. It is impossible. But praise be to God that he provided a perfect righteousness for me, that of Christ Jesus. And so therefore... Throw away that guilt and that shame, but to always remind yourself that we are dependent like children before a holy God. How do we do this? How do we learn to have a faith that is like a child? How do we war off the danger of self-assurance and of success and money? How do we war off anything that would distract us from being dependent on God? One small observation I want to make. Go ahead, look back down at verse 17. I don't know what translation you have, but verse 17, it says this. And as he was setting on his journey. Does anyone's translation say something different there? Beginning of verse 17? No? Okay. Um, that's Okay. So um, the reason why I bring that up is because he was on his way to a certain location. And do you know what that location was? It was Jerusalem. And do you know what would happen in Jerusalem? Jesus would literally give up everything for you. Here's, here's what's cool about the book of Mark. Every story from here on out, Jesus is getting one step closer to his coronation. He's getting one step closer to him, throning up to his kingdom. And you know what his, his coronation was? A cross. Jesus is getting closer and closer. And so on his way to dying for the sins of the world, Jesus stops and he says, have faith like a child. Don't depend on yourself. Learn to give up everything, to have a heart of devotion towards God. Jesus gave up everything so that you could be forgiven and have grace and be brought in. We ought to do the same. And so here's what I want to do. I heard this illustration in college, and it's always stuck with me. In life, what we tend to do is we have things in our life, right? We have friends. We have family. Maybe you don't think about this yet, but maybe you will one day, or maybe you already do. You have your health, you know, you have your future, you, you have your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you have your, your phone, you have your grades, you have your sports, whatever it is, we, we all have stuff in our life. And, and here's what Jesus is asking us to do, is to keep an open palm with all this stuff. Just to say like, okay, Lord, here in my life, you know, I, I give you everything. You, you, got, you got my family, you got my money, you got my time, you got my energy. But what we tend to do over time is we, we really like some of this stuff. And we begin to close our fingers. And we begin to have a tight grip on it. 
I say, well, I, I really like the way it looks when I have a lot of money in my bank account. I really like it when people give me affirmation for being good at this. I, I really like having my health. I really like this. And the problem is, is we begin to take these things and we say, I want to control. I want this. But what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to be open palm Christians so that at any moment he can come and he can take something from our life. That he could take this person. That he could take this financial security. That he could take this accomplishment. That he could take this friend group. He could take anything away from us. Why? To remind us again and again and again. To be like a child. Needy and dependent on him. Let us learn to give the control and to trust Christ in all things. To be open palm Christians to say that success and wealth, they're going to be enemies of this, to say that in our hearts that self-absorption, self-assurance is always going to draw me away from Christ and learn to be people who give it all to him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you give us hearts of faith to trust you in all things. Lord, I thank you, although it's a negative example of this young rich ruler, I thank you that um, you have written this down in your word for us to be um, reminded and encouraged to trust in you for all things. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross for us and that you treated us like princes, you treated us like sons, you treated us like brothers. And so, Father, I just pray that us in this room would learn to be disciples who have counted the costs, who give up all things to follow you. Help us, Lord, do this more each day. In Jesus' name, amen.